at RUF, we are looking at the parables of Jesus, which are simple stories with spiritual significance. Uh, that's what we're talking about this semester. Last week, we were in Luke 18. We were answering the question, what do we point to for our justification? Uh, we looked at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and concluded that only pointing to Jesus, only placing our faith in him and what he's done can justify us before God and others. Um, it keeps us away from pride and it keeps us away from um, looking down upon other people in comparison. But tonight, uh, we're going to remain in Luke, uh, but this time in chapter 10, it's printed on your bulletin uh, in verses 25 through 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Some of you guys might be familiar, familiar with this parable, if nothing else, from like laws like the Good Samaritan Law, where you're, um, you're you can't be penalized or lawsuit brought against you for trying to save someone's life, this kind of thing. Uh, before we read this parable, I want to focus in on the first question, just as we start to think about this. Uh, that opens this passage. It's verse 25. It really strikes at the heart of what we're going to talk about tonight uh, and why it matters to you. This passage opens with a scribe posing the question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so here's the thing. At like 18 to 23 years old, I, I can probably guess that this is not the question you stay up late at night like thinking about, right? Like you probably think you're going to live a lot longer and like the odds are in your favor that you probably will, right? Uh, and so you don't really think about this question a lot. Um, sure, it's maybe something that you've thought about occasionally at like a funeral. You might have thought about it. Um, maybe you toss it around with your friends. Like where do you think we go when we die? What do you think happens to us? Uh, this kind of thing. Um, but, uh, if we're honest, we don't really think about this that much. Um, so instead, what I want us to consider is the question that's behind this question, right? Uh, instead of, uh, thinking about the surface level, I want you to think about why this spirit or why the scribe would ask it in the first place. What does he want in posing this question? I don't know y'all, I don't know if y'all have ever, uh, noticed this before, but we don't always say what we mean uh, when we ask questions, right? So let's, for instance, you go home, let's say you and your family are getting a meal together, uh, and you're supposed to set the table, and you have, uh, you're having soup that night, right? If your family sits down, and your mom or dad, they look at you, and they ask you, um, where are the spoons, right? Uh, they don't want you to, like, point to the drawer where the spoons are, and say, like, they're over there, right? What they mean by, what your mom or dad means by that question is, uh, why didn't you set the table like you were supposed to? And will you please go get the spoons, right? Like that's what they mean by that question. Uh, there's a question that's operating in the background underneath the question they've actually asked. Um, and I think that in this story, the question that's operating in the background, the thing that this, this scribe really wants to know is how can, we, how can he find security? How can he find true, deep security and safety? I say this because... Uh, when we ask the question about how we will spend eternity, it's really asking how we can know everything's going to pan out for us, right? In the end, will everything pan out for me? Uh, in fact, uh, in the way the scribe asks this question, he doesn't just want to know how everything will pan out for him in this life. He wants to know, you know, in the end, after everything, even after death, like, will everything pan out for me, Right? Um, the scribe is asking this question, what do I need to do, what do I need to do to ensure that I'm really safe, that I'm entirely secure, that I'm unassailable, even by death itself? Uh, 
we all want the answer to this question, don't we? Like, right, we want, we want to know what we have to do to be secure. We want certain grades uh, so that we can secure our intelligence. We want a certain job uh, so that we can secure a certain lifestyle or standard of living. Um, we want a certain boyfriend or girlfriend that will satisfy our relational needs, uh, our need for intimacy, um, even sex. Uh, we look for uh, security even in our friendships, that no matter what life throws at us, you're secure because you have their affection, their uh, camaraderie. Uh, but here's the problem, right? Bad grades happen. <laughs> People are laid off every day. Uh, breakups happen, uh, and friends, even the best ones sometimes can let us down. They betray us. Um, so it makes us wonder, the same question this, uh, this scribe is wondering, like how can we know that that we're really secure. That's, that's the big question I want us to think about tonight. That's the thing we're going to keep coming back to you. How do we know, uh, how can we find deep security, deep safety? Uh, that's our question for tonight. Let's read how Jesus interacts with this scribe who asks such a deep and lasting question in Luke 10, 25 through 37. And I'll make a quick plug. As I go through this, if you guys have like questions or comments or I don't know, um, whatever, you just want to say hi, you can text me. Um, my number is behind me, I trust. Um, it will be. It will be behind me. Uh, it was. Maybe it will, it will be. Uh, I invite you guys. Uh, I want this to be a little bit of a dialogue, so um, send those my way. Um, so let's read this text, uh, Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's like a day's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of them and whatever more you spend, I'll, I'll repay you when I, get, when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, uh, help me tonight to explain your word and for these students to hear your word and respond to it. Uh, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Uh, so right after this, this scribe opens with this question, uh, one that's, you know, the deeper sense asks about security. How, how is he going to find it? Jesus turns the tables on him, right? Now, in answering the scribe's question with a question, that doesn't mean that, like, Jesus doesn't know. Like, sometimes if somebody's like, where do you want to eat? You're like, I don't know, where do you want to go? It's because, like, you might not know, right? This isn't, what, this isn't what happening, what's happening here. Uh, 
but he won't be tested. That's what Jesus is like communicating. Uh, I don't get tested. I test you. Um, instead, it's the scribe who's put on the hot seat, and Jesus points him to the truth of Scripture. But in the test, uh, he also wants him to like come to these conclusions on his own, right? He's not going to just tell him the truth. He's not going to tell him the answer. He wants him to, to make an assessment for himself. And fortunately, in verse 27, uh, the scribe passes Jesus' test. Uh, he answers that eternal security is found in loving God uh, with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind in our neighbor as ourselves. Now, uh, we'll get to loving our neighbor in a second. Jesus is going to spend like the whole parable unpacking, like what does it mean to love your neighbor and all that stuff. Uh, for now, I really want to focus in on the, the earlier part of the answer. What does it mean to love God uh, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Uh, now, on the surface of our text, right, as you look at it, it might look like Jesus is saying you can earn your security, uh, that you can earn eternal life by your own efforts in loving God, right? He says, do this and you'll live. Um, but this would fly in the face of what we learned last week, right? Uh, last week we learned that our works don't earn God's favor. Uh, if our works can't earn God's favor, then they can't earn the security that comes with God's favor. Let me say that again. If your works can't earn God's favor, then they also can't earn the security that comes along with having God's favor, with being God's beloved. Um, The key to understanding what the scribe means and what Jesus affirms is the context, right? Think about the context of this verse. Um, The scribe doesn't just pull this answer out of thin air. In fact, it was one that that we know from other rabbinic writings was actually uh, said often um, in synagogues and was written down often. Um, And it's actually a quote. It's a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, In that passage of the Old Testament, God commands his people to love him, to love him like this with their mind, strength, body, soul. Uh, And he tells them, you're going to be tempted not to. You're about to go into a new land. I brought you out of Egypt. And I want you to think about loving me and me supremely. Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Uh, But later in that same chapter, and this is important to its context, right? This is how Israel would have understood where this command comes from. God also tells the Israelites this. When your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Um, The son in this scenario, right, is going to come and ask his dad, like, why did God tell us to love him, right? Why did God command us to do that? Um, and, Jesus, and, and God's going to follow up. He says, then when your son asks this, you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt by his mighty hand. The scribe and Jesus know the context, right? They know what, where this passage is coming from. They know that the meaning of this command is not just to love God, to earn his favor. Um, but instead God has already delivered Israel when he issues this command. God has already initiated with them. God has already given him, uh, given this this people, his love and affection. Um, His love and affection is the basis for their love back to him, right? It's not conditional. It's not, uh, it's not, you know, as long as you love me, I'll love you back. Instead, God has already picked them out of slavery when they were nothing, right? This, This group of people were slaves in Egypt Uh, nobodies uh, in the terms of geopolitical climate and God rescues them out of that slavery. Uh, God's grace is the basis for their loving 
uh, him, not the condition of it. So as we think about our big question this evening, how should we find security? As we think about that, our first answer is this. We have to love God. Uh, Love God. And what do I mean by that? Well, um, as we think about that dynamic of like what it means to love God based on what he's done for us, um, I don't know how many of you guys have seen the movie Cinderella Man. It's getting a little old, but it did like, it was in the Oscar running and stuff, and it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend. Um, This movie, it takes place during the Great Depression, and a heavyweight boxer that's played by Russell Crowe is struggling to find work in New York City. And he comes home one day to find that his son has stolen like a stick of of salami uh, from the local butcher. And he says, we got to take this back. And they go and they give it back to the butcher. And then on their way home, the kid tells his father just kind of like, you know, out of nowhere, he just says, uh, you know, my friend Bobby is moving out of the city um, to go be with like his like aunt and uncle in the countryside. Uh, And his dad says, oh, yeah. And he goes, yeah, because they like don't have enough food to feed him. Suddenly the dad, Russell Gross' character, like, realizes, okay, I get what's happening here. You're afraid that, you're, like, that we're going to send you off. So he stops his son, right, and he gets down on one knee, and he looks him in the eye, and he says, look, no matter how bad it gets, we don't steal. Like, our family doesn't steal. That's not what we do. Um, and he says, promise me. Promise me you won't. And the son says, okay, I won't. And he goes, and I promise you that we will never send you off. You will always be with this family. Now, uh, as the kid moves forward and he doesn't steal and he like, does live a good life or whatever, it, it, you'd be tempted to say, like, okay, so as long as the kid doesn't uh, steal, then he's part of the family. No, that's, of course that's not what Russell Crowe means, right? What he means is, um, in this family, because, because you are loved, because we will never send you off, because we will always be there, you don't need to steal. Um, his, like... The basis for this kid's uh, commitment to his family, the commitment to how he behaves, how he loves his family, how he honors his family, is not based on whether or not his family is going to accept him. It's because of it. Um, This is how God loves us. Um, This is how uh, we are to engage with this. This is what I mean by finding security in God. It's not that you uh, love God so that he will love you and make you secure. It's that you already are. Um, If you place your faith in him, if you want to be part of his people, you're already completely and totally secure in his love. And in that love, you can love him back. Um, And and that means uh, you don't have to be on the roller coaster that we said earlier, right? I I mentioned those things like a job or your friend's opinions of you or, you know, having a boyfriend or girlfriend or any of the things that you could set your affections on. Um, You don't have to ride the roller coaster of those opinions, Instead, you can always know that your identity is bound up with Christ. Your, your identity is bound up with God's love of you. Um, that's the most important thing about you. But what about loving others, right? Uh, we're also going to talk a lot about that in this passage. Um, what, what does that mean? What did, what did he mean by that? Well, the scribe has a follow-up question about, about this loving other people part, um, loving our neighbors. Look with me at verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, curiously, Jesus answers uh, by telling the scribe a simple story. I don't know if you could get away with this, right? If your like, mom was like, uh, where, you know, if you, back when you were in high school, if your mom had asked you, like, where were you, uh, where were you tonight? You didn't get home till one. You were like, mom, let me tell you a story about a young man in a field. Like, that wouldn't really work, right? But Jesus can get away with it because he's Jesus. Um, and he tells uh, us a story about this Jewish man 
traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And this is a real uh, trip that would happen often. It's a, a trip that's about 17 miles, um, and it was notoriously dangerous uh, in the ancient world. Uh, the terrain is really rough, and there are a number of caves uh, along this trail, and it means that you can, um, you can duck in at any point and hide. Uh, they make the perfect places to, like, jump out and attack people, right? Well, uh, that means... Um, this guy is basically uh, par for the course of what happens on this road, right? He falls prey to these thieves, and he's beaten, uh, half dead, right? Uh, beaten within an inch of his life. Two characters that uh, would have excited the scribe then show up, right? Uh, a priest and a Levite. The priest is a descendant of Aaron. He's a descendant of, uh, he's like the great, 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 you know, grandson of the very first priest that God ever set up over Israel, right? Um, and then the Levite is supposed to assist uh, the priests in their, their priestly duties in the temple. Um, these two characters, both of these men, were prime candidates to help uh, this nearly dead man. And the scribe would have known it. Uh, their occupations, as outlined in Leviticus 12, 13, and 15, are literally to purify people who have afflictions, right? Who, are ble- who have discharges and bleeding and all these kinds of things. Like, they, they are no stranger to, like, helping people deal with these things, giving them oil, all the stuff that uh, the Samaritan's going to do later on, they would have been experts at. Um, but as the story goes, they pass by on the other side of the road. Why? Why would they do that? Uh, possibly for a couple reasons. Uh, one, they were afraid of becoming ceremonial, ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean. The idea there being, uh, in God's law, you weren't allowed to uh, touch a dead body um, and keep going on with your priestly or Levitical duties, they would have had to take, you know, a week off and cleanse themselves, um, which is, for the record, not like a bad thing. It's just part of the job. Um, but it would have meant they were out of commi- uh, commission for a while uh, in their occupations. But then uh, the other reason they might not have stopped, um, you know, they thought the man was dead. That's why they don't stop. But also, maybe they don't stop because uh, the robbers didn't finish the job, right? They heard them coming, and uh, they left this man half dead because they meant to make him whole dead. Uh, but they didn't get a chance because they didn't want to be there when these, this priest and this Levite show up. Um, so uh, they, for whatever reason, um, they don't. They don't help this man. And in a stunning turn of events that would have surprised uh, the scribe, not the least of which because Jerusalem is nowhere near Samaria, where this man is from, uh, the Samaritan enters on the scene, um, and he helps. He stops, right? And this, the craziness of this, many years uh, before Jesus tells this story, when Israel was defeated, uh, like when it was an actual geopolitical state and it and existed in the world, um, when Israel was defeated and captured and taken away into Assyria and Babylon, uh, Samaritans were people who stayed behind, um, and they intermarried with the enemy. Uh, they intermarried with people who were uh, Assyrian and Babylonian. And because of this betrayal, because they sold out their brothers and sisters and had them go as slaves, but they actually remained and like, lived cushy lives, Jewish people never forgot that. Um, and they ended, up, uh, they ended up with a different Bible. They worshipped on a different mountain in a different temple um, than the one that God had instructed. They almost came up with their own system of belief and thought. 
Samaritans, in the eyes of the Jewish people, they were schismatic, heretical traitors. Like, that's what they were. They were just not, they were, they were scum. Um, and that's probably why Jesus takes such great pains to emphasize how much this Samaritan actually does to help this man who was robbed. Look at the verbs. Look at this in, in verse 34. Um, there's six verbs in two sentences. He went to him and bound him up, or bound up his wounds, uh, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Uh, probably the greatest contrast in this story happens in verse 34. Whereas the other two Israelites passed by on the other side, this Samaritan went to the man. Whereas the other two men value their purity, uh, this Samaritan isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Uh, whereas the other two guarded their physical safety, uh, this Samaritan risks, risks his very life to stop and help. Um, but here's where it gets interesting. Now remember, this story is, is brought on by the scribe asking, like, who qualifies as my neighbor, right? Who, who qualifies to be a neighbor? And instead, uh, Jesus asks at the end of the story, which man proved to be a neighbor? That's in verse 36. He doesn't say, he doesn't answer this, the scribe's question. Um, the scribe asks who qualifies, and he says, which one of these mans, which, which one of these mans, which one of my mans here, uh, which one of these guys uh, proved to be a neighbor? Um, which one became a neighbor? Um, so how, how do we find security? Point one was that we find security in loving God, but point two is that we find security in becoming a neighbor. Um, he's still on the same track uh, of this question, how do you find security? And th- though this Samaritan wants to like, or not the Samaritan, the scribe wants to like limit what this would take. He says, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand what it means to, become, to be a neighbor um, you got to become one. That's what it'll take. That's point two. Here's the paradox, right? Um, neighboring, as we see from the actions of the Samaritan, means moving toward the people who threaten our security. It means moving toward people who are, are not like us, who maybe have hurt us in the past or who are on the margins of our society, maybe on the margins of our group, right here tonight. Like maybe you feel like you're kind of on the edge of our group and, uh, what Jesus is saying is those are the people, right? As Christians, those are the people that I want you to go toward, to run toward. And this is because all relationship, um, and, and the thing is like, that makes it inherently risky, right? We're talking about getting security, but Jesus says, move toward, become a neighbor uh, where it's risky. How, is this, how does this happen? Well, at the very least, it's because all relationships, all acts of love are inherently risky, um, I don't know how many of you guys know this about me, but my favorite movie uh, is Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, I don't know if you've watched it or not. It's a very old movie. Um, Audrey Hepburn is in it. Uh, she plays this woman named uh, Holly Golightly. And um, Holly Golightly's deal is that she moves through life completely unattached, unencumbered to anybody or anything. She answers to no one. She loves no one. Um, in fact, she even refuses to name her cat. Um, she just calls it cat. She's like, cat. Um, right? She doesn't, she doesn't want to name it because she says uh, she doesn't want to own it, right? She doesn't want to own the cat, so she just calls them cats. It's the same person. The idea there being like if it runs away or it dies or something happens to it, like there's no reflection on her, right? It doesn't, they're completely separate beings. She can't even like love this cat. Um, but this way of living slowly eats away at the male protagonist of the movie uh, named Paul Varjak, 
Um, he falls in love with Holly. And she kind of, you can tell, she kind of falls in love with him. She wants him. But she knows that if she tells him, if she, if she were to give herself over to that, if she were to tell him that she loves him, if she were to fall for him, uh, then on some level, he will own her. He will have some amount of control over um, her life in the sense that like, he could cheat on her. He could uh, tell her something mean. He could, um, I don't know, he, he, he has the, the power to make her life better or worse. She answers to somebody now. Um, it's risky for her to love Paul. I won't ruin the very end of this movie. I won't do it. Uh, but at the climax of the movie, uh, Paul's had enough. He's fed up. Uh, there's rain coming down. They're in New York City, um, you know, iconic New York City. And uh, as the rain's falling down, he's, they're in a cab in the back seat. And Paul delivers what I would argue is maybe the most perfect line in any uh, film ever. He looks at Holly and he says, Your whole life. You've been worried that someone was going to stick you in a cage. Well, guess what, baby? You're already in one. You built it yourself. It's a beautiful line. Um, and, and here's the paradox of the, of the, of the human relationships. He says, baby. I, that's, not my, that's his words. Um, all love requires risk, right? All love requires risk. There's no way to find security in our relationships apart from it. Um, it's a risky endeavor to love someone who can hurt us. Uh, and just like Holly Golightly had to risk loving Paul Varjak if she was to find the security in actually being loved by him, um, so also in all our relationships, they're risky. Um, that, that is part of the security of them is that they're risky. Um, but that's how we also become alive. That's the only way to be truly secure and to be truly alive. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Uh, he says like this, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything. Love anything and at all, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. I mean, if you really want to make sure of keeping, in, keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal, right? This is, uh, maybe they stole this. Maybe Holly Golali stole this from C.S. Lewis. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. Your heart won't be broken. It'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Uh, This is the great endeavor that we're called uh, to live in the Christian life, to become vulnerable neighbors, and in so doing, to truly live. But I've already made the point that like doing this is it, some people will fail us. Um, and it's those people that this parable is specifically targeting. It's challenging us to go to these people and become neighbors. Um, and we're not, we're not to be like the priest or the Levite who value our, you know, our, our space, who value our, our jobs and our, you know, the way our life is. It's so perfect. Um, they, they, we can't refuse because it's risky. We're supposed to be like the Samaritan who draws near to this Jewish man who would have despised him. Um, and, it, and it's at great risk to himself, like, physically. By what power? This is, this is the last question we're going to ask. By what power can you do this? Like, how, how, how are we able to uh, move toward people in love? Um, what kind of strength are we going to have to have uh, to risk so much of ourselves? Well, we've got to be secure in Jesus, Right? Look again at this parable. Does the Samaritan remind you of anyone? 
If you're, if you're thinking about Jesus, uh, you would be right. Uh, like the Samaritan, Jesus uh, became our neighbor by walking among us, right? And he didn't just come from like a nearby region. He left the glories and the riches of heaven to be born in a manger, to wander around Palestine all within like, you know, like 100 square miles uh, and die a sinner's death on a cross between two uh, criminals. Like the Samaritan, uh, Jesus bore the cost of restoring men who could not pay him back, men and women, though. Uh, he was completely incapacitated. Uh, this, this Jewish man, completely incapacitated, just as we are in our sin. Jesus has already paid all of our, for all of our sin in his life, death, and resurrection. Um, you know, this like ongoing bank account that the Samaritan, Samaritan gives, right? Or not that the Samaritan, yeah. Samaritan says like, hey, whatever else it costs, like I'll pick it up. Jesus has said that about your sin. Whatever, whatever more he does, I got it. I'll pick it up. I'll pick it all. I paid it, I paid it all in full in my blood. Um, like the Samaritan, Jesus was despised and rejected. When Jesus put the Samaritan in the story, it wasn't just to grind the gears of the, of the scribe, right? Which, of course, it did. Um, but uh, it was a, he was trying to point to something true, that he was telling us about himself, that there would be somebody who would wander the earth, be judged, be put aside, um, to be cast off, to be judged wrongly uh, by those who should have received him. But how does this all end? Um, what's, what's the power that we're holding on to? How does, how does Jesus loving us, how does Jesus doing all this stuff for us, how is Jesus being our Samaritan, how does it empower us? Um, well, because it ends in the resurrection. Um, this story of sacrifice ends in the greatest victory ever known to humankind. And Jesus' resurrection is but the down payment. It's just a down payment on our security. Um, As we become neighbors uh, in the same pattern as the Samaritan and Jesus, um, we have the security uh, we've been paid for. Um, The power that we get, um, the power that we get is by being taken in by Jesus. Um, This is how you're able to, uh, to do this neighborly work um, that's also our third answer um, for the evening uh, to our question, how do we find security and, and safety? We find it by being taken in by Jesus. Um, you know, just like this uh, Jewish man is taken in by Jesus, uh, so also are we. Um, take, a th- take a second to think about this parable. If Jesus is the Samaritan, where do you show up in the story? You're the Jewish man, like dead off the side of the road, incapacitated, unable to help. Um, and Jesus moves towards you. He binds your wounds. He is there for you. He has died for you. Um, he knows what it's like uh, to live the life that you live. He's been tempted in every way um, that you have. Well, um, how, how ultimately, as we think about this, um, this answer, that we've got to be uh, loved and cared for by Jesus, how does... Jesus being our functional Samaritan, being our functional caretaker, how is that ultimately going to like, help us to be secure around our neighbors? Um, as we think about that, uh, I want to point you to um, the book slash musical Les Mis. Um, I know we got some uh, musical people in here, uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, the protagonist of that musical, his name is uh, Jean Valjean, and he's caught stealing a loaf of bread uh, to give to his family when they're starving, and he's sentenced to 19 years of hard labor uh, because of it. 
He, he then has to wear a badge of dishonor for the rest of his life, marking him out as a thief. And of course, it makes it impossible for him to find work after because it's a, like a very struggling French economy and nobody wants to hire a criminal uh, in those days. There's no, there's no incentive to do so. Um, so at Val, John Valjean's lowest point, uh, church takes him in. This, uh, this priest uh, tells it, you know, um, gives him food and a warm meal and they're loving him really well. But uh, because of uh, his desperation, Jean Valjean steals uh, these two silver candlesticks uh, from the cathedral uh, and he gets caught with them. And the authorities bring Jean Valjean back to this priest. And they say, you know, he stole these from you um, and would you like to press charges? And the priest says, oh, he didn't steal them. No, I, I gave him those. Um, they're a gift. Oh, and actually, you know what's crazy? He forgot uh, all the other stuff in our treasury. Uh, we have a whole bunch of other treasures. You must have ran off too early before I could give them to you. And he gives him this treasure, and his whole life is different. He can reinvent himself. He can be a different person. Um, he, you know, he doesn't have to live with this shame and the, and the baggage of what he's done. His whole life is different. He was facing the death penalty for having committed another sin, he's, gonna, he's either going to die in prison or definitely just going to get the death penalty outright. And instead, he's transported from that reality to living an entirely different life where he can help people, where he can love people, where he um, no longer has the shame hanging over him. Uh, how much more have you been loved by Jesus than Jean Valjean was loved by this priest? Um, think of your lowest moment in life. Uh, maybe you didn't steal two candlesticks but uh, maybe you cheated on a test or you let your friends down or you lied or you, I don't, I don't know uh, what it is for you where you say like, that's not really me, right? We all do this. Um, think, I think about uh, celebrities when they get in trouble. They're like, this isn't in line with my character. That's what they always say when like they get in trouble for doing something. That's not really me. I'm not really like this. I was under a lot of stress. We make a lot of excuses for ourselves, but like, what if that's really you? What if that's really you? And the reality is Jesus sees that part of you that you hope no one else will see. He knows it. Um, and he came from heaven, gave up all the security of his life uh, to, to die for you, uh, to give you his reputation, to give you the riches you couldn't have. When you were facing the death penalty, he gave you life. Um, in that reality, in light of that truth, uh, man, what could take our security from us? Um, as the Samaritan bandages our wounds, as Jesus, the greater Samaritan, comes and loves us and cares for us, uh, what more could we ask for in the way of security? Um, this, is, this is the motivation to let go of grudges, to forgive people, to befriend people who are different races and religions and uh, socioeconomic classes. This is why you can go talk to that weird kid in your economics class or, you know, that person who seems like they can't put two sentences together um, in your, I don't know, math class or whatever. Like, I, I don't know who that is for you that you're like, man, this person is so difficult to love. But the reality is, like, you have been loved when you were difficult to love. Um, you were the man dying on the side of the road and God came and loved you. Um, in, in that light, uh, let, let the Samaritan bandage you. Let Jesus care for you as you care for others. Um, let's pray.